Jamie is an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene and the co-pastor of Trinitas, a church start in Central Phoenix. She leads with her husband, Jad. They have three beautiful daughters, Jaden, 10, Jolie, 4, and Jocelyn, who's 16 months old, as well as a 13-year-old deaf Shih Tzu named Katie. I was afraid I might say that wrong. Um, <laughs> Jamie is passionate about sharing the transformational and healing love of Jesus in, the way, in ways that both encourage and challenge others in their faith. Will you join me and give a warm welcome for Jamie Levi. I'm having trouble with this thing this morning. I keep getting stuck. Well, good morning. It's so nice to be here with you all today. My husband, Jad, and our girls, who um, Heidi just mentioned, are not here with me today. Our four-year-old seems to be participating in the preschool germ share thing they have on, like that program they have, or just kind of keeps... Yeah, so she's been sick with a fever for several days, and so I thought it was best if they just stayed home today. Um, but Jad sends his greetings to you all and says uh, hello, and he is praying for me, but also for all of you this morning as I'm here. Well, this is the fourth Sunday in Lent, so how are y'all doing? <laughs> you doing well? Since Sunday is a feast day, I'm guessing some of you on, are on like your third or fourth cup of coffee, or like you've been eating some chocolate for breakfast, or you stayed up past midnight to try to catch up on your Netflix shows. I know, I know how this works, people. Well, Sundays are a feast day for us. They're a day for us to take a break and to celebrate um, the life, the resurrection, the hope, uh, the coming again of Jesus um, in the middle of the Lenten season. Um, but it's also a day as we come to church and we come to worship together that we're reminded of some things um, about the Lenten season and why we celebrate it and what it means to us. And so um, when Pastor Doug reached out to me and asked me if I would come and speak today, I said yes, and he said, well, this is kind of how it's working. We're going to work through some themes or some topics that we want to address each week, and so we're going to be laying those out, and then I will let you know what, um, what the theme is for the week that you come, and we'll go from there. You can, you can work with it after that, and I said, oh, that's fine. So when I got the email, and I opened it up, and it read, um, suffering, <laughs> I thought, Really? You're going to throw me under the bus like that. You're going to go off on a retreat and have me talk about suffering? What is that about? It's not like that's a, you know, light topic or anything. But I said, fine. I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll do it. And, you know, this is a really easy thing for me. And, you know, I mean, if you want, I could even talk about something even more challenging. If you have something, just let me know. Um, but he said, no, that's fine. You're not recording this, are you? No, it was, I was happy, to, I was happy to, to do it and to, to come and to share with you a little bit this morning. But I have to tell you in all seriousness, um, when I accepted that invitation, I didn't really look at the timing of things. 
I didn't really look at the date and days and kind of think through what all of that would mean. Um, Because you see, this past week was the one-year anniversary of the murder of my 32-year-old first cousin by a man who chased her out of her home and across uh, the neighborhood onto a neighbor's porch where he shot her in the head and then turned the gun on himself and killed himself. My cousin left uh, a 16-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. And family and friends just reeling and desperate for answers of why and what and trying to make sense of all of it. So this past week, this past week was a week of suffering. It was a week of suffering uh, for my family. We were suddenly, a year ago, that family, that story on the news that you see. And so this past week, um, we were left reliving the events of last year. We were asked, or we were left re-asking questions that just can't be answered, and we were left re-experiencing the deep sense of loss that took place that fateful day, re-envisioning and being reminded of the consequences of her death on not only her, her young children, but as well as her mom and her dad and her brothers and her cousins and her friends and everyone who loved her. She was full of life. She was hilarious. She was so fun to be around, and her her smile lit up the room. So her loss for us was devastating, suffering. Lives forever changed and left to deal with the wounds that time can't really heal. It only offers little uh, more than space between then and now. Suffering is real, and it's deep, and it's painful, and it comes in many different forms and and from many different experiences, and it manifests itself in all different ways in the lives of different individuals. We all experience it one way or another. This is the reality of our broken world. My husband, he works for a ministry called Alpha. Some of you may, may know it or have heard of it before, but it's an organization based around this evangelism tool, which is also called Alpha, and it's a, an 11-week course on the basics of the Christian faith, and so each week um, you have a topic about the, one of the foundational uh, principles of the Christian faith, and, and there's a, a video that talks and explains that topic from a Christian perspective, and then after... Uh, there is a group talk where people are free to respond to the video and to express their thoughts and their feelings about what was said in an environment that's safe, and they can say anything they want. They could say, I think that is a bunch of baloney. (laughs) They can say, I don't believe any of it, and we don't correct them. We don't try to, to teach them or change their mind. We say, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing. And we create this safe environment for them to be able to, um, to share what they're thinking and feeling so that over the course of the 11 weeks, there comes a point where they're able to be vulnerable enough to share those things that are hindering them from really surrendering to God. And and you know what the the thing is more often than not that keeps people uh, from surrendering to Jesus or to coming into a relationship with him? It's suffering. 
Why did Jesus allow my uh, son to die? How could a loving God allow me to live with this disease? If God is a God of love, why is there suffering in the world? This is the question over and over and over that people struggle with and can't get their mind around, and it keeps them from walking into the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And this is the question that even those of us who know the theologically correct answer, we know and can explain to somebody why suffering is in the world, we still struggle with it as we experience the sting of its reality in our lives. So this morning, as we talk about suffering, I don't, I don't want to try to offer an explanation for you about why it exists. I don't want to um, try to, to create a picture of um, why suffering happens and um, what we can say the Bible says about it scripturally for the reason why. Because at the end of the day, uh, we know it happens. It's real. What I want to talk to you about this morning is your response to the suffering in, in your life. Especially in light of this Lenten season. Suffering is inevitable. So what we what will we do when we experience it? This is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And then, and then also, what does that have to do with Lent? So as we do that, would you pray with me for just a moment? And I, I want to uh, just take a moment to pause <clears throat> and to pray the age-old prayer, just come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this place with your spirit, Lord. As we, we offer up this other portion of worship, this is not the main event of the day. It's a piece of our worship this morning. I pray that you would help us to be a little more in tune to what you're saying and doing. And I pray that you would quicken our ears to hear what you're speaking to our hearts this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would move us, that you would move us and draw us into your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text this morning is an unlikely one for our topic, but bear with me as we take a different look at a very familiar story, I'm sure, to many of you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and it's the story of the prodigal son. And I'm going to begin with the first three verses in chapter 15 and then skip down to verse 11. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to, f to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, had, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. This parable is, is, is Jesus telling, responding to uh, those who were grumbling and complaining in his presence about his interactions with those who were perceived to be sinners uh, within the Jewish law, those who were unclean, and those who were supposed to be avoided. And the accusation is that Jesus is not only interacting with them, but he's reclining with them and sharing meals with them, and many of the, the Pharisees and the scribes were not happy about what was going on. So in response, Jesus uh, shares this parable to try and teach them about repentance and grace and love and relationship. He's trying to show them that there's a place for each of us at the table, and Jesus wants the Pharisees and scribes and all of, all of those who are listening to know that. But something else I see going on here is that there, there's a lot of suffering. Let's take a look at a, uh, for a moment at these brothers through that lens of suffering. You see, first of all, there's the suffering of the younger brother. It seems odd to me that in a day and a culture... Um, of the story, that the younger brother would go and ask for this inheritance before the passing of his father. That would have been an unusual thing, and actually like saying that his father was dead to him at the time. And so what it seems like is like he cared more about the money that he wanted to go and uh, basically sow his wild oats and live freely than he did about the father uh, who was actually caring for him. But I wonder why. What causes the kind of pain in someone that they would be willing to hurt those they love or that love them? What must he have been suffering in his heart? You know, people suffer in all kinds of ways. They suffer physically from diseases and injuries. 
They suffer the pain of deep losses like that of a loved one dying or natural disasters or a marriage dissolving or even the loss of identity in a time of crisis. People suffer mentally from stressful experiences in their lives or mental illness or emotionally from shame and guilt or fear or abuses they've experienced. People suffer all kinds of things in all kinds of levels, physically, emotionally, mentally. The internal agony drives us to do things that we might not ordinarily do. So I just wonder, what was the youngest brother suffering that he would respond to his father in this way? Because his father seems pretty loving when he returns. And you see, what he does, though, is he tries to find a solution to the suffering, but his solution to the suffering only leads him to more suffering. He ends up in the pit with the pig, starving in the middle of the famine, suffering from hunger and shame and humiliation. And I wonder if any of you have ever been in that same kind of place. Have you ever tried to fix your suffering in a way that led you to more suffering? to find solutions or answers to ease the pain in a way that caused more suffering. And then on the other hand, we have the older brother. His little brother finally comes home and there's a celebration for him. It's exciting, there's a party, he was lost, now he's found. But everybody seems to be happy except for the older brother. In fact, he's not just not happy, he's angry. You're going to tell me that this guy who goes out to live it up and waste everything that was his, uh, and he goes out to do all this, comes back and gets a party while I've been here slaving away the whole time with you, I've been loyal to you, I've been faithful to you, and what do I get out of it? You never gave me a party, you never celebrated my loyalty to you. I wonder what's at the root of his anger and his bitterness. I wonder what's at the root of what he's feeling there. I wonder what would cause him to be so offended that he would not want to celebrate his brother's return. What was he suffering? Be easy to say, oh, he's just full of pride, he's a big jerk, don't be like the older brother. (laughs) And that might be true. But something tells me there's more going on below the surface that's causing this response to come out of him. Maybe it's the fear of his brother coming back and taking the inheritance that was already his. Maybe he suffered a scarcity mentality, thinking that, you know, if they showered this brother with all kinds of love and and appreciation, that there wouldn't be enough left for him. It seems certain that he suffered from a false identity that was rooted in his work for his father instead of as his father's son. I wonder if any of you have ever suffered gripping fears or internal struggles that perpetuate anger and bitterness in your life, that perpetuate a slave mentality that you're just working and nobody cares or appreciates. It's suffering. It's a different kind, but it's suffering. It's internal pain and agony that people are dealing with day to day to day. 
We see it in them, and we experience suffering in our own lives. It's not a question of whether or not we will suffer in this world. In this world, we will have trouble. In the book of John, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's this proclamation, you're going to have trouble, you're going to suffer, it's going to be challenging because it's a broken world that you live in. But what is it that we're going to do with the suffering? Where are we going to turn? What is our response going to be? Will we react like one of the brothers and try to fill the pain of suffering with other things first? to try and protect ourselves? Or will we eventually, like the younger brother, finally turn around and run into the loving arms of the Father? What are we going to do with our suffering? This is the question for us in the midst of it all, in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the agony. How will we respond? What are we going to do? We have a choice to either allow the suffering to overwhelm us and lead us into greater darkness or isolation, or we can turn ourselves around and head back into the arms of the Father, where he doesn't want to just welcome you home, but literally runs to you with arms stretched wide and grabs hold of you. swallowing you up in his love and compassion and mercy. Standing ready to wrap the best robe around you and to put a ring on you and to give you new sandals and restore you and remind you that you are a beloved child. You are his beloved child. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect and that all the suffering goes away, but the power of the Father's love offers us hope and light at the end of our dark tunnel that we're in, and it offers us an opportunity to come out of the lonely shadows and into a community of healing love. So how will you respond to suffering? We don't know what the older brother's response finally was. We're kind of left hanging at the end of our story. But the fact of the matter is, is that the same love, the same love that the father ran out to the younger brother with, with arms stretched open, was the same love that that he gave to his older son when he walked out of the party and pleaded with him to come in and be a part. For both of them, there was nothing but love and desire for them to come and be a part. You see, it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're facing. You might be far away from the Father, or you might even be really close up. But either way, there is more love for you to receive. There is more compassion. There is more mercy for you to experience. The Father's love meets you right where you are. For the younger son, he met him way far out in the distance. And for the older son, he met him right outside the door. So what does this have to do with Lent? How does it all tie together? Lent is a somber time. It's a time of reflection and challenge. And while we will all certainly suffer in this world as a result of its brokenness, 
Lent is a time that we intentionally enter into suffering. It's not something that happens to us as a result of the broken world, but with intentionality, we enter into suffering. We intentionally enter into the story of the suffering of Jesus. We intentionally enter into the darkness and challenge of the way of Jesus to also experience his suffering. Because we must know that in our story today that the Father himself was not without suffering. He suffered the pain of his lost youngest son, and he suffered what was at least an initial rejection from the oldest son. He suffered these broken relationships with them. And yet, even in the midst of that, he offered love and compassion and mercy. So when we, during the Lenten season, enter into the suffering of Jesus... We experience the pain of his journey, but we also experience the deep well of love in the darkness. Because here's the truth, that the suffering of Jesus can't be separated from the love of Jesus. The suffering of Jesus can't be separated from the love of Jesus. Henry Nouwen says that our efforts to discount ourselves from our own suffering end up disconnecting our suffering from God's suffering for us. The way out of our loss and hurt is in and through it. And so this time of Lent is the time that we intentionally enter into it. We enter into the suffering of Jesus so that in some way we might be transformed by the power of his love, bringing us to ultimately what ends up in Easter, what ends up in new life, what ends up in restoration, what what ends up in new hope, what ends up with a new kind of love that we are filled with and able to share with others, even, even in spite of our suffering. 1 Peter 5 says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's the power of the love of God working in us. So what will you do with your suffering? How will you respond to the suffering in your life. You know, this uh, Lenten season also marks a a one-year mark uh, for a woman in our community. She was a, or she is, a 56-year-old woman who, um, back around 2012, moved to the U.S. from Mexico uh, with her spouse. She got married and moved to the U.S. And um, on a trip, that she took on her way back from a trip she took back to Mexico to visit her parents. When she came back, she arrived to find um, that her home had um, basically been completely stripped of everything. Her husband had taken all of their belongings and left her one box in the middle of the floor, and he had taken off. And so for all of the years since then, Um, She remained here in the U.S., but for all of the years since then, um, she's been going to her job super early in the morning when it's still dark out, uh, really late at night, coming home on the bus when it's really dark out, 
And as she gets a little older, she was getting more concerned about this, saying, I don't feel safe. And, and to kind of put her over the edge this one time when um, she was in her work clothes and, and she got up from sitting at the bus stop and she realized she was all sticky and she re- later realized what it was, that it was um, urine that she had sat in and she was covered in it and her clothes were sticky and she had to go to work that way. And so she came to us and she said, I, I want to pray that God would give me a car. I don't need a lot, but I just need a car so I can get back and forth to work. I only go in like a couple mile radius and would you help me pray for a car? And so during the Lenten season, we prayed and we fasted and we gave intentionally. And we, we gave it in, intentionally for the purpose of standing with her, standing with her in solidarity with her and believing with her that God would somehow provide a car. And so a few months passed by after the Lenten season was over and um, my husband, Jad, said, you know what, I think I'm going to give a call to one of our friends who's a mechanic and just ask him if he ever sees any cars, older cars that come through, and, and maybe if he does, that people don't come back to get them or something, I don't know, but, but maybe he has a lead on a car that we might be able to, to help her acquire. And so he called this young man, and the man said, no, that doesn't really ever happen. Um, but he said, you know, what, what I'll do is if you find a car that's that, that might be good for her. He said, I'll take a look at it and make sure it's okay so it's safe for her and whatever, and I'll, I'll be glad to help you in that. And so my husband said, thank you so much, appreciate it, and hung up. A few hours later, my husband realizes that he had been missing calls from this young man and that, that he was getting messages like, call me as soon as you get this, and he's like, what is going on? And so he calls him back and he says, hey, what's happening? And he said, hey, I told my wife about, you know, the situation um, with your friend, and he said, we we feel like God is telling us to give her our car. And my husband, the good pastor he is, said, "Um, are you sure that's really what God's saying to you? And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And he starts talking about how we'll have to get the title changed over, blah, 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 blah. Starts going through all these things. And my husband, in his excitement, you know, hangs up the phone and calls me. And he says, oh, my goodness, look at, listen to this. What's, what's happening? And I said, what kind of car? It's probably an older car, right? Like, what kind of car? He's like, I don't know, but it's going to get her to work. And, you know, so the next day comes. And we're like, you know, she, we, we want to tell her. We, wanna pre- we haven't told her yet. We want to present this to her and say, hey, somebody wants to give you a car. And so I said, you know what we should do? We should print out a picture of it. So let's find out what kind of car it is. And I'll print out a picture and give it to her in a card and say, oh, surprise. Like, it could be Oprah for a day. Like, you get a car. <laughs> right? So, so I, I go and, and, and I say, I, my husband says, okay, I'll find out. And then he sends me a text with this picture and I pop it open and I'm like, this is the car? This is the car that she's getting? And my husband's, you know, responding back and forth, uh, yeah. You know what kind of car it was? It wasn't just some old beater car that was going to get her from here to there. It was a 2012 Jeep Patriot. They gave her that car. She's still driving it around. We helped her get insurance on it, and um, he fixed some things on it just to make sure it was in great condition for her and she wouldn't have any worries after she got it. They did that out of the generosity of their heart. But, but what I want to highlight out of that story is this. She didn't receive that car because she worked really hard and earned God's love in some way. She didn't do all the right things and fast enough and pray enough. We simply came in the Lenten season and said, Lord, we want what you want in our lives. 
We want, even as a community, we're going to stand with her. We want what you want in our lives. And if you need to do something in our lives, then, Lord, we pray that you would do it. We enter into the suffering and into the darkness, but we pray that you would transform us by the power of your love. And as we did that and as we pressed in during that season, we couldn't help but somehow come out experiencing the love of God. And she experienced the the absurdity and the craziness and the outstretched arms of the love of God saying, I'm not only going to give you a car, I'm going to bless you with a car that you could never have even imagined beyond your wild expectations, wildest expectations, something you don't even believe you deserve. I'm going to give to you because I love you. And after you have suffered a little while, he himself will restore you and make you firm and steadfast. And that's what he did for our friend Liz. And that's why we enter into this Lenten season. That's why we enter into the suffering of Jesus, because the suffering of Jesus can't be separated from the love of Jesus. That's why he suffered, out of the love that was being poured out in his heart. He came to stand in transformative solidarity with us, to enter into our suffering. And so now we come back on our part and we say, Lord, we stand with you in your suffering that we might experience the, the love that you have and in, in that you want to pour out in our lives that we might be transformed by it and that we might be somehow uh, restored by it, that we might somehow have enough of that, that we might be able to share that love in the broken world around us. That's why we enter into the suffering of Lent and that's why we talk about Lent in this way and that's why the story relates because it all has to do with suffering and love and the two can't be separated. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're suffering with something now or you, or you did suffer with something in the past or if you're going to be suffering with something here in the near future. But here's what I know, that no matter where you are in that process, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And I just want to encourage you this morning... want to encourage you to turn and to not just walk but to run <laughs> to run into the loving arms of the Father let him wrap his arms around you let him hold you let him sustain you with his grace as you cry and as you pour out your heart and as you feel all the stuff, let his compassion and his mercy carry you through. As the worship team comes this morning, I'm going to pray. I want you to just bow your heads for a moment. I think our prayer team is also going to come this morning. And after the service, if you'd like prayer for anything, or even now, if you want to come, please know that there are people here who want to pray with you. I just want to take a moment, though, and close our eyes. Just once again, 
to offer ourselves completely and wholly in surrender to the Lord. I pray that whatever you're carrying, whatever burdens you have, whatever suffering that you're dealing with or you have dealt with, maybe even suffering that's buried deep somewhere inside of you, that you try to avoid or act like isn't there, that you would, you would in this moment somehow finally come to that place where you say, okay, Lord, I receive your love for me. I receive your mercy and your compassion, and I welcome it, and I ask you to restore me and to heal me and to carry me and to sustain me through all of it. See, the Father's love is always there waiting. We have to be willing to receive it. And so this morning, I pray that each of you would receive more of the Father's love in your life today. May your hearts be filled to overflowing with the love of the Father today. I pray that broken hearts would be healed. I pray that mental struggles would end in Jesus' name. I pray that challenges that, have, that you face and, and have kept you um, in a cycle that is unhealthy would be broken today in Jesus' name. And I pray that wherever you are at, you would receive Jesus' love.